Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 147 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello, Pedros. Oh, love it. Oh, no. So proper. Well, I know that they tune in to hear me, so I figured I'd give them something extra. Cementing the brand. Yep. Love it. Mm, mm, love it. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Toby, you're about to embark on a, on a big journey. That's true. Tell I'm us about retiring. it. retiring now. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is a bit of a, I guess it's a podcast announcement because things will be changing just a little bit. Podcast announcement. So yeah, coming up in the next couple weeks, me and my wife will be embarking on a long planned journey. To Mordor. We're, we're, yeah, we're visiting the realms of the dead. We have to we have amber spyglass or something like that. I can't remember. No, we're going to, we've both taken a break from our jobs. We've saved up a bunch of money. We've restored an old RV most of the way. We still have some work to do. Uh, and we're going to go on a big, long tour of the United States. So I will be leaving Los Angeles, leaving Dylan and Bailey and Maggie behind, not leaving Andrew behind because he doesn't live here. Yeah, and you're coming to visit me. Yeah, I'm going straight to New York City. <laughs> Um, no, yeah. So the, the plan is to be on the road for quite a long while. Uh, we don't know exactly how long yet, but long enough that we are going to be changing the way the podcast works uh, for the future. So I will only be on every other episode. Commence crying. It's very sad. Toby will only be on the episodes where he reads the book. Um, yeah, yeah. It's the way I like it. <laughs> so you, you don't get to hear about any of Andrew's books. You think I won't listen to the podcast? <laughs> wow. For a second, I forgot that you could. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I never have to hear Andrew review a book again. It's really great. No, um, I'm really, I'm really gonna, gonna miss being on every episode. So I'm, I mean, but it's cool. We're gonna make it work how we make it work. Uh, yeah, so that is the exciting announcement. And I'm excited to be like the intrepid reporter on the scene of mm -hmm. various national parks and other major U.S. cities. I'm very excited. Yeah. Although... I'm also sad secretly. Don't tell Toby, but I'm going to miss him. Well, don't worry. He doesn't listen to this. Yeah, yeah. I don't listen to it. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Um, I don't want to talk about my shame. <laughs> oh, wait, you have shame. You must. <sighs> yeah. It must be really shameful because a lot of the times you're like, you know, snapping your fingers all over the place. Like, I'm not ashamed of my shame. Yeah, I have four shame. I <laughs> oh. And the thing is, I know that my birthday's coming and that, you know, oh, no, even I, more. I usually get a lot of shame. And Toby, you can see it right now that where there was a oh. spot for <laughs> maybe 10 books, there's a spot for maybe three books left. Yep, that's true. Okay, so the first one I got is called One Last Stop. It's the new book by Casey McQuiston, who wrote Red, White, and Royal Blue. Mm -hmm. My understanding is this is a romance, like female-female romance. However, I think time travel's involved. So, I mean, I'm in on that one. So that one I was excited for. It looks like a piece of candy. Yes. I'm looking at the spine right now. It's like a lovely lavender. Lovely lavender. It'll look nice with red, white, and royal, royal blue. That's a tongue twister to me. Yeah, red, red, white, and royal blue. I can only do it if I really enunciate. Okay, then the other three were just straight up shame, which is that I passed like a bougie little free library. <laughs> like, like these They're books. They're like handing out glasses of champagne. <laughs> well, they have bookmarks inside, like with the name of little free library on it. And each book has been embossed. Like the page has 
been pressed so that there's an imprint of the name of Little Free Library on it on the first page of the books. I'm just going to call it now. Yeah. The person who runs that Little Free Library has bodies in their basement. Ooh, I was going to say, <laughs> it's super cool. <laughs> Either very civic-minded and public-facing person, or they have just stacks of corpses in the basement. Yes. So hard to say, but it, it's a bougie Little Free Library, and they had really good, really good selection. So I, I got three. One of them is the recent winner of, I think it's the Nobel Prize. Um, what? Drive your heard pla- of it. Drive your plow over the bones of the dead by Olga Tokarsik, um, which looks really good to me. Great title. Terrible gardening tip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, honestly, actually, that's how you get better uh, better mulch in there. Yeah, yeah that's true. Nitrogen. Yeah. Nutrients. Got to get gotta get the bones in there. Got to mm-hmm. really drive that plow in there. Um, and the other two I got were Autobiography, which is a YA book about Mormon boys falling in love. Love it. Love it. And the other one is The Leavers by Lisa Ko. This one is the one I know the least about, but you know when you just see the cover a lot on people's shelves or bookstagram, and I was like, this looks familiar. And then I was reading the description and thought it sounded pretty good. So, shame. I, I can't see why this is so much worse than normal shame. You should shrug it off with your normal, normal Bailey aplomb. I think it might be that there's been quite a few shames yes. in a row. You haven't had a, a shameless week in quite a while. <laughs> that, that's exactly it, Andrew. It's like it's not so bad to have four shame, but when you have four shame every week. A shameless week is every week in William H. Macy's life. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So so that's my status. Did you buy anything at Bart's Books? Oh, well, I did buy something. We stopped at Bart's Books, Dylan and I, this cool bookstore in Ojai, California, that's outside, which for an East Coaster like me is very weird. Um, Even for a Californian like me. It's weird. weird. The books are exposed to the elements. Whoa. Crazy. So I did buy a book. Yes, Dylan, I bought... Thank you for that. Good job, Dylan. I bought uh, The Great Beanie Baby Bubble, Mass Delusion, and The Dark Side of Cute by Zach Bissonette. It's a very serious book. But it's a, Sounds it's, cool. It's actually interesting because I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, but our family were, you know, one of those families in 1998, 1999 that were collecting those beanies. But as they explain in the book... At that point, once you started collecting, it was too late. So everybody thought that you were going to make millions, like when we bought the Princess Diana Bear for $200. By we bought, Bailey Bailey put that number down on a silent auction without our parents' permission. Oh, but then, what? But my mom followed through and actually paid the money. Like, she could have well, been yeah. like, oh, well, my daughter did that. And like, I, you know, she's in oh, the fourth I mean, grade or whatever. I mean, I'm right there with you about 150 bucks cheaper I, think <laughs> I got mine for 50 bucks there you go it came in a it came in a glass a plastic globe yeah, yeah. oh we we had like a square and like a tag protector of course <laughs> of course very important of course. so we were really into it and i actually found on my shelf as i was reading this book i have an old collector's uh book that lists all the beanie babies and how much they sh- are supposed to be worth today oh, which is hilarious yes from, yeah so how much would Princess Di go for it. I mean, it's supposed to be thousands. So it's, it was an interesting book. I did pick that up at Bart's Books, but I already read it, Dylan. There you go. Nice. So opposite of shame. Well, I'm glad you said it because that sounds like a cool book that I honestly might be interested in reading because it's like, I remember that mania. I spent $50 of my own child money. There you go. How many Beanie Babies do you think you guys could name? None. Too many. I was like, I was like the the classic like lazy investor where I didn't even get any of the other ones. I was just like, I'm gonna bet it all on one. Wait, you just I, got one? I had like maybe fifteen, and then I was like, I'll go big on this one big whale. Yeah. Well, in some ways though, like that's not that bad. Mm, dodging a bullet, yeah. You probably spent a lot less than we did, Andrew. How many Beanie Babies can you name? 
Uh, too many to list on this podcast. It would be longer than the podcast. There you go. Wow. Andrew has very good memory. For example, Liberty, which was the Fourth uh, of July themed teddy bear, Liberty. Liberty. <laughs> wow, I truly would never have gotten there unless you had walked me there by holding my hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I ran across um, not a new article, but a kind of a review, a pictorial review, and this is pretty. Uh, it might be exclusive to the United States. I'm pretty sure it was. So when we were all in elementary school or at least the people who are of my age, um, there was a very popular thing that libraries everywhere would have, like posters of celebrities that just said, read. And then it would be whatever celebrity it was uh, reading a book. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sent these around and we all had our reactions to them. And it was just, for me, it was really interesting like how visceral and powerful it was to see the ones that I recognized and then see the ones that I didn't recognize and be like, wow, how bizarre these are. So for example, I remember I had one, I had no idea who David Bowie was, no mm-hmm. clue at all, but there's one where he's like in mid jump in the air with like his legs curled up underneath him and he's reading a book, which is so bizarre. But he, but he's also dressed in like a letterman jacket. He looks- I thought he not, was like a skateboarder. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. really look like David Bowie. Yeah. He looks like a, almost like a jock because he's wearing like a high school letterman jacket. But that was the one that, I, that struck me the most. Mm-hmm. I remember the REM. Yeah, that was one of the ones that was very strange to me. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. I remember, I think, was it Bill Gates or or one of one of those computer guys? And yeah, then it was Bill Gates. Yeah. Bill Gates. And Shaq? Was Shaq one? Shaq was one, I believe. Yeah, those were the ones in, in my computer lab. Andrew, do you have any memories of these? I remember them. I think I'm, I'm slightly younger than y'all. And I think that they had their heyday when I was just a little too young mm-hmm. because I remember seeing them and thinking of them as dated. I remember there being an Ethan Hawke one mm-hmm. um, and an Ani DeFranco one, which I think, <laughs> Bailey, you called out not knowing that there was one. But I think that was when I learned who Ani DeFranco was, was from a poster. See, that is too cool because I, I would not have known that. And then maybe if I had gotten into Ani DeFranco earlier, maybe I would be even cooler today. <laughs> Impossible. Well, if you guys remember these, please hit us up on Instagram because, yeah, it's yeah, definitely your favorite. It's a fun trip down memory lane. Mm-hmm. It is these things that you don't think about for years. I guess Beanie Babies might be another example. But then as soon as you see it, you're like brought back to that moment. Yeah. I have a particularly strong connection with the David Bowie one. And now I realize it's very strange. Well, Toby. I hear that you might have read a book this week, like David Bowie did. I read it levitating in my leather, Leatherman jacket. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, was it like within your eye line, or would you say that it was... Out of sight. Ow! Whoa, whoa! <laughs> yes, I read Out of Sight by Elmore Leonard. Old Ellie Lenz, here to bring the hits. So, here we go. Logline. Logline time. Check your watches, pages. <laughs> They've all been converted into a little circle that says logline time. <laughs> Following veteran bank robber Jack Foley's escape from prison and his chance encounter with Karen Sisko, a stunning U.S. marshal, Elmore Leonard's Out of Sight manages to take two stock stories, Can the Leopard Change His Spots, plus Lovers on Opposite Sides of the Law, and spin something engaging, and dare I say it, heartfelt, despite a few missteps that modern readers may grimace at. Okay, so that's even more than a logline. We get a little bit of a preview. Yeah, that's right. Interesting. All right, tell me more. Um, so yeah, I haven't seen the movie, so there ain't going to be nothing in here about the movie. Tough luck, Dylan. Out of Sight is my, one of my favorite movies, uh, but I read it this week too. So, cool, so we'll get to hear what Dylan thinks. Yay. <laughs> Yay. 
So, Out of Sight uh, is about as Elmore Leonard as Elmore Leonard gets. It's chock full of charming career criminals, tough dames, and scummy, believable villains. By now, most people who want to read an Elmore Leonard book have already read one, um, because he's a very specific type of story, um, very much like hard-boiled detective, but brought into the modern era. Okay. Uh, very cool characters, lots of like steely-eyed men looking each other up and down and being like, well, who's really got it? Who's really tough and who's really not tough? He likes to do kind of a magic trick where he'll give you a likable criminal and you'll be like, man, crime seems like fun. And then usually towards the end of his books, he'll give you the other side of it where like crime is like disgusting and violent and stupid. Okay. So... Again, it's a pretty standard plot. It, it goes right galloping along. Um, this guy, Jack Foley, he's an older, probably like 40, mid-40s, late-40s guy. He's a bank robber. A George Clooney type. A George Clooney type, if you've seen the movie. And he's very charming. And he escapes from prison. And he has this whole plan. He has a friend who's going to help him out. Um, but along the way, he has a chance encounter with this Karen Sisko. And it, it happens right at the beginning of the story. And it is actually part of my orcs, is the kind of conceit of the story is that um, he escapes from prison and he happens to see her kind of in the parking lot that he comes out of prison escaping mm -hmm. and he and his friend kidnap her mm -hmm. and he is so taken with her that he forces her to lay with him in a trunk while they drive away from the scene of his escape. And apparently he's so magnetic and so charming that she kind of like falls for him. Well, in the movie, that's like the sexiest scene in the movie. Yeah. Which is pretty problematic. It is extremely problematic. It happens so fast. And it is written with that kind of like, you know, sometimes when you're reading books written by older dudes and it's like the women are always like, I don't mind that you're old like yeah. it happens a lot in this book uh -huh. like she is described as so young and so attractive and he's like he was a very normal looking old guy you know like a writer type maybe not even that in shape really oh wow tell me more about golf <laughs> yeah, exactly um however so th that is like one of the roughest parts of the book it happens right away um but then they become separated and the whole book is they're kind of like she's on the right side of the law and he's on the wrong side of the law and things really do get better from then on. Um, I think he gives a lot more consideration to Karen's character as the story goes on and um, there's not really much I can say about the plot because it's basically like he goes on to do criminal things and she goes on to do law enforcement things and they are inevitably drawn back together by their kind of attraction to each other and also because of the events of the story. Mm -hmm. Because she's chasing him. She's chasing him. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was, you know what, that was kind of like a plot summary slash one of my big orcs mm -hmm. is that their romance reads very weird to me, uh, even when it kind of improves later in the book. And they, I mean, it's not a spoiler to say they encounter each other once again and get to speak again. Um, and that is a more even footed scene where they're like, you know, it's clear that she's attracted to him and stuff like that. But even then, they're, they just don't seem like loving people who care about each other. They're more like robots that he's making speak these weird lines. So that's not the strongest part of the book, but it is still effective uh, for what it is. The other, my other big orc is that there are some racist and homophobic stuff in here. Um, I'm sure that Elmore Leonard would say that it's not him who believes this. It's his characters who would, you know, in his defense, act this way. He's talking about criminals and shady people who aren't great people, but still not fun to read. Yeah. Um, I don't know much more to say about it than that. So on to my elves. Oh, okay. Um, there's a famous Elmore Leonard quote about writing where he says, Quote, I tend to leave out the parts that readers skip. 
Oh, dang it, one of my facts. <laughs> and there's a, he has another different quote where he says, don't write the boring parts. And that is Elmore Leonard all over. This thing starts off with a prison break and it never slows down. All of his books are short and every single scene matters. Every single interaction matters. Every single conversation matters. And he is one of these writers where he trusts his readers implicitly. Either you are on board with this book 100% and you are reading through every single conversation and you're trying to follow along and see where the story is going, or you just toss the book back in the hotel, take a book, leave a book section where you probably found it. Uh, but I but I just, I just do think like he has a lot of confidence in his own style, his own writing. His dialogue is absolutely on another level. Um, he's been kind of cited many times as a master of dialogue. Many, many, many of his books have been made into movies because they're pretty easy to adapt. If you like this kind of story, it's about as good as you can possibly read. Okay. Overall, Dylan and I both really like it. I, I'm speaking for Dylan, but I think Dylan likes it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what's our, how many stars did you give it? So I'll, I'll close up my review. I'll say, um, if this interests you, if you liked movies like Pulp Fiction, if you liked any of the many adaptations, you might not even know things like Jackie Brown, things like um, Get, Get Shorty, Get Shorty, Be Cool. Those are all Elmore Leonard adaptations. And I think a lot of people don't know that. If you enjoyed those movies, give his books a shot. And I think they're almost all titled the same as the book. With the exception of Jackie Brown, which is called R- Rum Punch. Yeah. Rum Punch, yeah. So uh, if you enjoyed those movies... Give it a shot. It's the same. I mean, in some places, major parts of the book are just lifted as dialogue for the movie. So Yeah. So, yeah. In my opinion, I really enjoyed it despite its flaws. I give it a four out of five stars. Found it very gripping. Dylan? Yeah. yeah I give it... I was giving it three and a half, but I would knock it up to four. Although, I do think this is very middle of the road Elmer Leonard. Oh, really? I was going to say it's one of my more favorite ones I've read yeah, by him. I think he has definitely made ones with weaker characters. But yeah. you, the one thing about this is you can totally see why the movie of it works so well that like there's a central relationship between these two actual people and this very like stock genre thing. Yeah. I liked this book. I think there's some rough edges around it, especially involving the main plot. But I think the kernel of it and the relationships are the thing that kind of elevates it into the Elmer Leonard Pantheon. Okay. This does not sound like a book I want to read at all. All right. No. Fair, fair enough. Okay, cool. Well, that is Out of Sight by Elmer Leonard, four stars by Toby. But, Andrew, do you have any facts about L.E. Lems? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, Elmore John Leonard Jr., Boom. Was born on October 11th, 1925 in New Orleans. Uh, when he was growing up, he, he moved around a lot because his father's job was a site locator for General Motors. As you might guess, though, because he worked for General Motors, he ended up settling in Detroit, which became a central part of a lot of Elmore Leonard's fiction going forward. He said a lot of his crime novels in Detroit. During World War II, uh, Leonard attempted to join the Marines, but was rejected due to poor eyesight. But they let him enlist in the Navy, and he became part of the civil engineering arm of the Navy known as the Seabees, which uh, one of our cousins has spent his entire career in. So go Seabees. Go Seabees. During this time, he got the nickname Dutch for baseball pitcher Emil Leonard, um, which most People close to him called him throughout his life. People weren't calling him Elmore. They were calling him Dutch. It's a very Elmore Leonard character thing. Yeah. Like, Somebody would be called Dutch in an Elmore Leonard book. They call me a Dutch. Why? Because a baseball player had my similar name. Oh, wow. <laughs> 
Well, there you go. He served through the end of the war before returning home to Michigan and attending the University of Detroit. Uh, he got a degree in English uh, and ended up working as a copywriter for an advertising firm while writing during his free time. But his uh, success came pretty quickly. He broke into the writing world by cranking out a bunch of pulpy Western novels and short stories. In the 50s, he published more than 30 short stories and four novels, uh, all of which in the, the Western genre. Uh, he continued at this clip for a while and had success in having his work adapted for the big screen, uh, something that, as we've noted, <laughs> will be a feature in his career going forward. Uh, for example, the movies 310 to Yuma, Ombre, and Joe Kidd are a few of the, the Westerns he developed, um, and he even wrote the screenplay for a few of them. Starting in the late 1960s, he started adding crime to his repertoire, uh, often setting his books, as I said, in Detroit, and he also used South Florida as a, as a location a fair amount. Uh, by the mid-80s, he gained some renown for the genre and gained esteem more as a novelist than a simple pulp writer. 1985's novel Glitz uh, was a title that uh, sort of was her, his first like breakthrough, like, this guy is to be taken more seriously, and it spent 16 weeks on the uh, bestseller list. And yeah, he was a prolific guy. He continued writing and publishing up to his death in, in 2013 at the age of 87. As you guys mentioned, Get Shorty, Jackie Brown, uh, Justified, the TV show Justified, uh, mm-hmm. Be Cool, and of course Out of Sight are all based on his work. Yeah. yeah. Good boy Dutch. Yes. Uh, he he was married uh, three times in his life. And remarkably, I, I included this because I thought it was pretty crazy. And he's probably one of the only people that this is true of. He was married three times in his life. But the shortest of those marriages was 14 years long. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, isn't that weird? So he was married to his first wife, Beverly Klein, for 28 years. Uh, then they divorced. And then Joan Shepard, they were married for 14 years. She passed away. Uh, and then Christine Kent, she was married to for 19 years. Um, they divorced shortly before his death. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like all of those are, are like pretty long marriages. <laughs> um just a couple of other short facts from a 2013 Associated Press article um, after his death. Uh, he wrote on paper. Uh, he wrote longhand on apparently specially crafted 63-page unlined note, yellow notepads um, that he had unlined. custom made. Yeah. Huh. Uh, when a page was completed, he transferred... This is me quoting from an article. When a page was completed, he transferred the words onto a separate piece of paper using a typewriter. There's no reason for me to have a computer. I've been writing in longhand for 50 years. It's more of a question of what pen do I use than it is anything else. Very... Okay, Boomer. Uh, very Dutch. Uh, I just can't uh, imagine being like, these lines on these pages are holding me back. Like, I need unlined paper. That's kind of... That's the crux of it. I did... Um, <laughs> My work-study job in grad school, there was a very, very old math professor who refused to use a computer, and I had to write out his notes. You mean transcribe them, right? Transcribe them, like type them. Oh. I was like, why? That's terrible. Yeah. Anyway. Two other quick things. Um, This is, again, from that Associated Press article. This fact was titled, he had fans in all walks of life. (laughs) General readers loved Leonard's writing, as did movie fans who found his work after seeing many film adaptations. His admirers included fellow writers such as Saul Bellow and Martin Amos. George Clooney hung out at Leonard's place while filming the big screen adaptation of Out of Sight, and members of Aerosmith, in town for a concert, also visited, taking a dip in Leonard's pool. Lots of fans, none of them women. Yeah, Yeah. sounds about right. Last thing, uh, as Toby said, he had advice for writers. Um, He had what was called his 10 Rules for Writing, which was published in the New York Times, um, which included some of the things Toby said, but also included such facts as never open a book with the weather and never use a verb other than said to carry dialogue. And that's Elmore Leonard for you. I disagree. I feel like if you just keep saying said over and over again, that would get annoying. Billy said. (laughs) 
So that is Elmore Leonard's Out of Sight, Four Stars. Great facts, Andrew. Good job, Andrew. Yeah, good job, Andrew. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Um, but that did actually bring up something I wanted to talk about. Yes. Which is that you, Bailey, also read a book and I want to hear about. Oh, good transition. Yes, I did read a book. Bailey's face just fell. She was so excited talking about the lovely Elmore Leonard and his love and understanding of this women. This is exactly how my my thought process went. Ooh, it's my turn. Oh, I have to talk about a wind <laughs> in the door. Oh. Uh, all right. Yes, I did read a book this week. I read A Wind in the Door by Madeline Leangle. This is the sequel to... Okay. All right, guys. Thank you. Someone close the door. <laughs> <laughs> this is the sequel to A Wrinkle in Time. Uh, and as I explained in the last podcast, this is one of the books that's been on my shelf the longest. Um, it's definitely from my childhood, and it has been on my shelf since I was a child, and I read Wrinkle in Time, and then mm-hmm. I got the sequel, and that just never felt like reading it. Mm-hmm. So honestly, whew, I don't know. How long has it been on my shelf? 25 years? Dang. I mean, that's commitment that's to shipping boxes of books around with you. I always think, well, maybe I'll get to it. You've moved across the country multiple times. Many times. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to have read it. That's an elf. Glad that I read oh, it. no. <laughs> when you start throwing out the phrase, that's an elf, apropos of nothing. I'm going to try not to rag on A Wrinkle in Time, because that's not fair. I mean, sorry, A Wind in the Door. I wish it were A Wrinkle in Time. No, I'm going to be nice. Why is it not fair? <laughs> Fair. It's fair. I think she'll be okay. I just don't want to be overly mean and overly negative. Context also. I have had been reading, as you know, uh, Shadow and Bone, fantasy series I gave five stars to. Mm-hmm. I also just read the audiobook for Project Hail Mary by Andrew Weir that Toby recommended. Sci-fi book I gave five stars to. I gave five stars as well. Pages, check it out. Five stars. Especially the audiobook. It's very good. The audiobook is excellent. So these are like the top of the top of the genre. <laughs> then I read this book. Which, Bailey, wait, before yes, you go into it, yes, I have a question. Yes. A Wrinkle in Time. Do yeah. you, what, how many stars do you remember? Do you remember liking it? Like, I remember liking it. I think I feel like as a kid, I probably would have given it four stars. Okay. Good to know. Okay. So that's the context. If you remember about The Wrinkle in Time, this book follows Meg Murray. She's the main character. She is the oldest in a family of four kids. Um, Her parents are scientists. um, And in the first book, her dad is missing and he has fallen into A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, that's where the title comes So in this one, he falls through a door? (sighs) Windy door. He gets blown out a door. They travel through fantasy worlds. Not really fantasy worlds, more like um, alternate universes. She travels with her little brother, Charles Wallace, who I think is around five. But he is incredibly precocious. Like he's talking about mitochondria all the time, that kind of thing. Um, And this senior in high school named Calvin, who is very cute, Mm -hmm. but she's like 12. And so they kind of are developing this romance and I feel uncomfortable about it. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so this one, Charles Wallace is sick and we don't know why. What? That's that's the main thing is Charles Wallace is sick. Nobody knows why. And the- Is it because there's a draft and he got a cold? It's not not that. Close the door. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Meg ends up teaming up with one of the elves of the book, um, this character called Progenoskis. She calls Progo. Well, I mean, why would you bother calling it Progo? Progenoskis just rolls off the tongue. It's so easy. And I might say it's a spoiler to say what he is, but he's literally on the cover of all of the versions of the book. And he is what's called a cherubim, like, you know, like a cherub. This review is all over the place, but this is the so best. So the book sounds like. Exactly. So I'm just going to describe him for you. Okay. Context is... Charles Wallace thinks that there's dragons in the garden. <laughs> he must be really sick. I wish that there were dragons in the garden. No, instead, no, instead, this creature emerges. 
page 54. Charles Wallace's Drive of Dragons was a single creature, although Meg was not at all surprised that Charles Wallace had confused this fierce wild being with dragons. She had the feeling that she had never saw all of it at once, and which of all the eyes could she meet? Merry eyes, wise eyes, ferocious eyes, kitten eyes, dragon eyes, opening and closing, looking at her, looking at Charles Wallace and Calvin and the strange tall man, and wings, wings in constant motion, covering and uncovering the eyes. When the wings were spread out, they had a span of at least 10 feet, and when they were folded in, the creature resembled a misty, feathery sphere. Little spurts of flame and smoke spouted up between the wings. It could certainly start a grass fire if it weren't careful. Meg did not wonder why Charles Wallace had not approached it. So it's it's a ball of wings and eyes. Oh, God. Like a biblical angel? I think that's like one of the descriptions of a biblical angel. It's yeah, like they're just eyes and wings. This shows you how much I've read the Bible. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's the creature that she's working with. In order to save Charles Wallace, she has to pass three different trials. Oh, the Triwizard Tournament. I know this one. There you go. Um, <laughs> the theme of the book is that everything is connected. And if one bad thing happens to the smallest part of a mitochondria, that that will affect the entire universe. So if Charles Wallace is sick, it might just be one boy, but really it would affect everything. That's the theme of the book. She has to um, do these challenges. But the thing is, and this is the main critique, the main orc. Bailey grumbled. She doesn't want to do the challenges. I hate when this happens in Progo books. keeps being like, well, you have to do this, remember? And she's like, oh, I don't want to. And he's like, remember? And she's constantly like, I forget what you're talking about. I'm like, we just explained what you needed to do. And it's all about quote, kithing, which is speaking within your mind, they explain it like 500 times and Meg's like, I don't get it. So I'm going from these very active, awesome protagonists in Project Hail Mary and Shadow and Bone to this girl that like doesn't want to be the protagonist. Yeah. Well, she already got to do it for a wrinkle in time. Yeah, exactly. She's like not interested and she wants to investigate this wind and like, I don't care. I feel like that was a big trope of like YA literature before we even called it YA literature. Yeah. Is it was written by a lot of adults who didn't seem to love kids and who who were just like, well, teenagers don't want to do anything. So even if they had the opportunity to interact with an angel and save the world, they'd probably whine about it. Exactly. Whining is the exact word. Yeah. Just a lot of whining. And it's like, it would be so easy to just do it. Um, all this to say the book is only 200 pages, but it took me a fair amount of time because I kept putting it down being like, I need a little break. Mm -hmm. It's just not that good. And I'm annoyed. This is a woman writing a female character. And as a woman, I'm annoyed that she needs a man to tell her to do everything. They're like, don't you want to get back to Calvin? And she's like, okay. All this to say, I would not recommend this book. Really? <laughs> <laughs> two stars. Two stars. Wow. Ooh, that's a Bailey dunk. Ultimately, I gave it two. And I'm going to stick with that. Bailey declared. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, do you have any facts that will change my mind? Yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> no, I mean, the facts I found are, are perfectly fine. But here we are. So, Madeline Leangle was born Madeline Leangle Camp. Her father's last name was Camp. She, she dropped to just Leangle for her publications. Uh, she was born on November 29th, 1918 in New York City, baby! Sorry, that's where I live. Her mother uh, was a pianist and her father was a writer, journalist, and critic. She wrote from a very young age. However, she was continually thought of as a poor student, apparently due to her shyness and clumsiness. Uh, and so she sort of did that classic thing of retreating into your books and your writing and had a, a wild inner life. But then her teachers were like, well, you did the math bad. <laughs> How clumsy do you have to, to be to have it be like a defining fact of your childhood? <laughs> I bet she like dropped the chalk while she was supposed to do arithmetic. And they're like, well, you must be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Teaching was different then. Uh, <laughs> 
her parents traveled often, uh, and so she was shuffled around from boarding school to boarding school in places as wide-ranging as Jacksonville, Florida, and Switzerland. Um, she went on to attend Smith College. Oh, my really? mommy went to Smith. <laughs> and uh, she graduated cum laude. After college, she moved to New York City, and she immediately began writing and publishing works, but wasn't a success. She wasn't making a lot of money with it. She was had a few things published like right after she left college, but uh, I like wasn't making a living. And she met her husband, and I found disappointingly little information on this. She met her husband while performing in the Cherry Orchard, I think on Broadway. What? Cool. Yeah, I didn't find any more information on this, and that is frustrating to me. Either way, she was in the ensemble, he was in it, they met, they married, they stayed together for the rest of his life. He, he died before her. Yeah, Cherry Orchard, the most romantic of Chekhov's plays. <laughs> His name was Hugh Franklin, by the way, uh, and he uh, temporarily gave up acting and they relocated Connecticut to Connecticut for a while. Um, but then they returned eventually to New York City so he could continue his acting. So Liangle this whole time is continuing writing, uh, but like not really getting any positive reinforcement. She nearly gave it up, apparently, on her 40th birthday after receiving a rejection notice. And she was like, this is I'm going to draw a line under this for my life. However, she found that she couldn't kick the habit and sort of like it, this was described in an article as continuing to work on her fiction subconsciously Mm. so she like kept drafting things in her head and it actually timed out that right after this happened they returned to new york from connecticut where they had been living and she had the idea for a wrinkle in time which she completed in 1960 the book was rejected more than 30 times before farrar strauss and giraud picked it up and published it in 1962 And as you might imagine, based on its enduring success and popularity, Wrinkle in Time changed her career. She was successful afterwards. It received the Newbery Medal, and it propelled her career forward going after that. She continued to write and publish things regularly until her death in 2007, and it was across a bunch of different uh, styles of writing. She wrote poetry, memoir, adult novels, uh, but is most known, obviously, for her, her Wrinkle in Time, Time Quintet. Just a few general facts. Uh, Liangle was a Christian, like deeply involved in many religious organizations throughout her life. Hence, maybe where she found the inspiration for this Brogo character. I don't know that for sure. There's a um, lot of Christian themes in the book. Yeah. So strangely, and actually this feeds right into that. Uh, she received some criticism for her overly religious messaging, but she was also often banned by Christian bookstores, um, sometimes because they saw the covers and they thought that's magic and they just banned it. Um, <laughs> And other times, because she has a, sp- a specific, and I don't really want to get into this too deeply, thoughts on Christianity, which was described as Christian universalism. So that got her banned. <laughs> there was a 2004 adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time that was a television movie, which I actually remember watching as it came out. Um, asked in an interview with Newsweek if the film met her expectations, Liangle said, I have glimpsed it. I expected it to be bad, and it is. And so that's what I found uh, on our friend Madeline. I'm glad you also mentioned that you liked A Wrinkle in Time, so it wasn't a complete dunk show. All right. Well. Andrew. Yeah. Do you have a game for us? Oh, heck yeah, I do. Yay. And good facts, by the way. Good job. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. The name of the game this week is Nightmare on Elmore Street. Ooh, mm. spooky, spooky. Love it. Yeah, I wish that that fed into the game more, but it's actually just a, a sort of a riff on our classic where we're going to do is this something or something else? And the somethings are a villain in the DC Comics universe. Okay. Or an Elmore Leonard work. Mm. Uh, okay. Just some mechanics for the game. You buzz in by yelling Dutch. Um, <laughs> 
And uh, I'm going to continue that rule that we had in the last game where if you buzz in and get it wrong, you have to let the other person have first chance at the next one. Okay. It'll either be one or the other. There is one that is both. All right. Here we go. All right. I'm ready. Bolt. Dutch. Toby. I'm going to say Leonard. You're saying a Leonard? Mm Mm-hmm. That is incorrect. That is a DC supervillain. No. So no points. And unfortunately, that means Bailey gets first crack at this one, Toby. All right, here we are. Kill shot. Both. That is correct. That one is both. Sup, 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 sup. Well, there you go. So, Bailey, congratulations. You have one point. Two points. Uh, no, you have one point. I never <laughs> said that the both was worth double. Okay, two points. Great, I great. will take your point away. <laughs> Up one to zero. The board is open. And let's get cooking. Raylan. Dutch. Bailey. I'm going to say um, um, supervillain. DC. That is incorrect. <laughs> Raylan is the novelization of Justified, which was based on a short story. So he wrote a short story that became the basis for Justified. And then he was like, this could be a novel. And he wrote it. It's called Raylan. Okay. All right. So Bailey, you're still up one. But Toby, you get first crack at this one because Bailey got that last one wrong. Glitz. Oh, Leonard. That is correct. You mentioned it. Yay. I remembered the thing. Good listening skills, Toby. Thank you. There are a couple that I mentioned specifically. So the game is tied up and the board is open. Y'all ready? Yes. I'm ready for this. The hot kid. Dutch. (laughs) Bailey? The hot kid? I'm going to say Leonard. That is correct. It is a Leonard novel. That's just too ridiculous to be a villain. (laughs) Ah, Batman, you see that you're surrounded by me, the hot kid. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like there have been villains in comic books with worse names than that. That's true. (laughs) Bailey's up 2-1. Board is open. Mr. Majestic. Uh, Dutch. Leonard. That is a Leonard novel. Oh. Congratulations. Yeah. It's also a short story. I, I was pretty sure it was too obviously like leaning towards a villain name. I was so going like, to guess DC. All right, cool. Yeah. That's because you're a fool. <gasps> Tied up at 2-2. Board is open. There are three left. Let's see how we can do this. Swag. Dutch. Bailey. I'm going to say DC villain. Nope. That's another <laughs> Leonard novel. Are these all Leonard novels? <laughs> swag. I do love the idea of a villain who's just like, Swag. <laughs> Uh, All right. Uh, Still tied 2-2. Toby, you have control of the board. Okay. La Brava. Oh, Leonard. That is correct. It is another Leonard novel. Yes, I think I've read that one. Oh, well, look at you. You're winning 3-2, and you have an opportunity with the board open to lock Bailey out and go out in a blaze (gasps) of glory, at least until you're on the podcast again. All right. Y'all ready? Yes. Joe Kidd. Oh, but but me. Thing. Dutch. Dutch. Toby. (laughs) Ah, I don't even have an answer in mind. I just wanted to say it before Bailey. All right, let's think. Joe Kid, Joe Kid, DC. I think it's Leonard. Well, because it's a binary choice, Bailey cannot be correct because I didn't say you could steal. Toby, it was incorrect. Everything was Leonard except for the one that was both and the first one. It was all a trick. So congratulations, Toby, yes. because even though you got it wrong, just calling it out and getting it wrong guaranteed your victory. Congratulations, thank Toby. You, I'm you. glad you won the game on our on our episode before you. I know you're not leaving the podcast, but you're going to be around less. So it's good that you got another win under your belt. Yes, yes. we will miss you. No, oh, Guys, I'm still going to be here half the time. It's really sad. We'll never speak again. 50% of the time. 
Um, awesome. So the next episode will be a little bit different. Um, we all read a little while back uh, the graphic novel Black Hole by Charles Burns, and we're all going to talk about it. Um, it may or may not have been our banked episode in case someone did something like really irresponsible, like leaving the area that they live in and like having a chaotic life for a while. So, so. if there's no like context to it, like, don't <laughs> worry. Like I think we even mentioned in the intro that like we recorded this because something bad happened. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out I was the thing that was bad that happened. Um, so that will be Black Hole, but then we will have new books to read. And so it's time for Dylan to tell us what books those are. It is time for Dylan to pick books that ran from our shelves. It is time for The, the Choosing. The Choosing. Which is also an Elmore Leonard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Toby. Yes. What do you want most in life? What um uh, Happiness. Love. Just like the perfect sandwich. I thought you were going to go with money, <laughs> which is also your book. Oh. Number 17, Money by Martin Amos. Although I would have liked to read The Perfect Sandwich by Martin Amos. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm excited. Uh, this will be uh, my second Amos that I've read. Wow, it's totally blanking on me which one I've read before, but I really loved it. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with him, uh, he was like a literary bad boy in the ooh, 80s ooh. and 90s. Um, at the time, I think that he received the highest advance ever for a book. This is way back in the day because things like Harry Potter and stuff like that have happened since then that have far eclipsed him. But I think he got like a quarter of a million dollars for his next book, which in like 1989 or whenever it happened was a pretty big deal. Mm. Was um, he the hot kid? <laughs> he was the hot kid. Um, he is the son of Kingsley Amos, um, who wrote Lucky Jim and a bunch of other classic works. Yeah, I really liked his first book that I read of his, so I'm intrigued to read another one. Cool. That sounds fun. Did I get a literary bad boy? And then in four weeks, you'll buy the podcast, but you'll only need the edge of your chair. Uh, I was going to try to make a angrier, more macho one because Bailey has North Anger Abbey by Jane Austen. Wait, I'll read that with you, Bill. Oh, that's on your list too, Andrew? It's on my list as well. Yeah. Okay. I just love the idea of it being North Anger Abbey. Anger. Anger. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. This is exciting because, as you guys know, we have all of the Austin or all Austin books except for Emma are on my list. So this will be the first one that was chosen. Chosen. Yeah. And Emma is on my list. So literally the entire oeuvre of, of Jane Austen could have been chosen any moment. And we're 64 episodes in and finally it's happening. There you go. And I think this is the shortest one. So we'll see. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, awesome. So that means in two weeks, Black Hole Extravaganza. <laughs> Don't worry when it's weird. Then two weeks after that, North Anger Abbey by Jane Austen. I will be reading that as will Andrew. And Andrew is covering Confederates in the Attic by Tony Hurwitz. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast and on Instagram at the To Read List podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto your podcatcher of choice and rate us five stars. It really does help us rise in visibility, helps other people find the podcast. You could leave a little comment. You could say that you think that the podcast is out of sight. Um, and if you don't want to do that, even though we recommend you do, just telling a friend or a family member or someone you know who, who might like to uh, have something out of sight in their sights, uh, <laughs> tell a friend. Uh, word of mouth is our best way of finding new listeners, and we would really appreciate it if you did. Thank you. Tell that big ball of eyes and wings that keeps hanging around you. I'm not talking to that thing anymore. <laughs> Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books. books.